Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, sound like you like it not. That's when it got wheels off. Howdy all, this is Rhett Miller, and welcome to this episode of Wheels Off. This week we are joined by the great Kyle Kinane. A stand-up comedian, an actor, and voice actor, and all-around renaissance man. He and I met up in Pioneertown in a cabin in Joshua Tree before an old 97s gig. He and his buddy and Boogie Monster co-host, this is their podcast, Dave Stone, drove out for a, uh, what did they call it, some sort of weird holiday trip they were doing just to get away and write it off on their taxes. They came out to Pioneer Town. They rented their own cabin. I know they recorded an episode of Boogie Monster later that night and the next morning. Pretty hilarious. It's sort of the flip side episode to what you're about to hear. It ran weeks ago, months ago, perhaps. But Kyle and I sat down and talked about stand-up comedy, creating art, creativity, maturing as an artist, dealing with success and personal evolution and how people expect you maybe to be what you used to be and maybe begrudge you becoming what you are meant to become. I've always thought of Kyle as someone who is deceptively deep and has a lot of insight. And you may not expect that from him because maybe what you know about him is a gravelly voiced purveyor of fart and whiskey jokes. But Kyle is a deep dude, and I'm so lucky that I got to sit down with him and record an episode of Wheels Off, where we really dig deep into the process and creative life of Kyle Kinane. Enjoy. Welcome to Wheels Off. My guest is Kyle Kinane. Hi, Kyle. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Really well, thank you. So, um... What are you working on? What creative project are you working on right now? And, and how are you inspired by it? Uh, oh, boy, that's a big question for what. Well, I, I'm here with Dave. We have the Boogie Monster podcast. And that's, I think, less creative as much as it is like an exhaust valve for the frustration you get from trying to create things that are creative. And like then we get together and just kind of bitch about everything. But I, I, I don't know, man. I, like, I, I try to pitch TV shows. More and more I tell my girlfriend, like, I don't have to live in L.A. I wanted to be a comedian, and it came true, and I can make a living off of it, and I don't have to be a part of the Hollywood stuff anymore, unless I want to. As opposed to being there like, oh, God, I hope this show that I pitch somebody likes, or I hope this thing where, like, no, I get to go on the road and ply my wares, and just, <clears throat> if I can keep doing that, then I will have an income. Hope, fingers crossed. If sure. less, you know, I've screwed up 
somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't think I have. Well, it's funny, right? Like, there's two major components to it. There's that. There's the you go out on the road and you mm-hmm. set, you monetize it. But then you have to have something to pimp, mm-hmm. right? Like, so you... I, I see you as someone that I feel like you are always writing. Like, I feel like you... You have a lot of yeah. material. You're constantly getting new material. I feel like you're you're pretty creative, but it's the only thing that, that's what keeps me interested in comedy, is that it's it's the puzzle that's never finished. It's like yeah, it's, you know, it's like the jigsaw puzzle, but there's infinite pieces. It just gets bigger and bigger. So that's the only fun thing about that's not the only fun thing about comedy, but that's what keeps it interesting is that oh that bit I figured that out and I got it great. What's the next one that's at least as good as that one before or better, and it won't as long as I'm interested in it, it won't end, which gives it a you know gives it a perpetuity for me. It's just am I going to get too weird that people don't want to listen to it anymore? Is the is my idea of what's funny going to change? Hopefully, I don't get lazy with it. I, you, know, you see some comedians that get used to playing to their crowd, and they're like, "Oh, this is what you expect from me." Like I don't want to be the pizza farts guy for my whole <laughs> life. I know that's I know that's me now. Or it was me, and I slowly tried to change that. It's like, oh, Kyle's always drunk, and it was like, so I tried to do material, but like, yeah, sometimes that's not who you are, and you want to. I, I like watching artists grow as people, and become, you know, like people like, oh, you sold out of this now. Like, I still listen to punk music, but when I see a fifty-three-year-old guy, like this one's called Fuck Society, and you know they live in like a McMansion <laughs> with their kids, and they're still like. You're just, that's just, but also is, is it laziness or is it fear that you'll lose your audience? Because your audience is still 18. Yeah. I would rather have the people who, I'd rather have a 23-year-old go, that is funny. And also somebody who's, you know, in their 40s, my age, go like, oh, it's good to see somebody that is moving through this world at the same uh, pace that I am. If that. Well, I mean, it seems like a part of that is just being honest, right? Like, I mean, how much do you feel like, it would be easy to just be the character you created when you were. Ten years ago, yeah. But how, how? At what point do you just become Larry the Cable Guy? Yeah. At what point is it completely fictional? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm is still that dr- ever a temptation just to give the people what they want or whatever? No, because I would hate it. Not that I would hate like oh, so I just I asked a guy who did theater because like just even saying the same thing every night. Yeah. Like how like a guy who's like doing Broadway like how do you do that every single night? For months on end, he's like, whatever emotion I'm feeling today, that's the emotion the characters feel. So the words are the same, but if I'm pissed, then the character's pissed, even though the words are the same. Or if I'm elated about something, that character's elated, even though I'm still acting. And I admired that, because that's something you have to harness with an hour of material. I don't even have to follow the words. I can change what I want to change. You know, I don't know if that's how, like, with being a musician, you still have to play the songs. You can play them with a little more spit and gravel in them a little more piss and vinegar, but it's still got to be the song, you know? But you put the emotion behind it. Yeah. I don't know. What was the question? Whenever it's philosophical. philosophical? No, that's the whole idea. Whenever we get real philosophical. <laughs> oh, God. Let me get in perspective here, Rhett, and uh, tell you that my philosophical is that... Uh, um, no, I, just, I guess becoming, the, like, being a character every night, I just... I still got to like who I am, you know? Yeah. That whole like self hatred thing that comedians go like I'm not there I'm I'm pretty happy guy and I it would be like when Lewis Black is pointing frothing it's like <laughs> you're still going home to your mansion dude exactly. or maybe that's maybe that's money can't buy happiness and it's like no it's, it's I'm pretty happy <laughs> which is sweet so when you were a kid 
Did you like visualize this? Was there a was there a, a, an epiphany moment where you were like, oh yeah, that guy on the stage, I, that that could be me? Yeah, I, I, well, I remember watching Johnny Carson. I, I got in trouble in kindergarten because like, what's your favorite TV show? I was like, oh, Johnny Carson. And then they called my mom like, why is your son up this late? She's like, he goes to school in the afternoon and do with my kid. But I remember seeing, I, I don't even remember which stand-up comedian, but like, all that guy's doing is standing there. He didn't have to learn an instrument. He didn't have to memorize words from a play. And I was like, that's it? He just got to be there? That's got to be the easiest job in the world, which I was wildly incorrect about. Yeah. But the fact that all that guy did was stand there, and he wasn't even like being interviewed or wasn't in a movie, he stood there and talked, and the audience laughed, and he was on Johnny Carson because of whatever that was. I didn't know what stand-up comedy was. I'm like, that's fascinating. That that guy, whatever his existence is, amuses people enough that he's famous just by being in the world. I'm like, all right, I had no inherent talent for anything except being like a dipshit smartass in class. So I'm like, all right, well, let's lean into that and see what happens. So It sounds like your parents were pretty supportive of this. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're great. I think once I got into comedy, they were just happy I found something because I was not, I was three colleges in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, three colleges in, uh, split in time between a gas station and pizza delivery and then warehouse work. And then once I found comedy, I'm like, I'm going to do this every night. I'm going to drive from the suburbs into Chicago every night to like, or as many nights as I could to do open mics and shows. And I think they were just like, he's passionate about something. Like, let's let, let, let him have that. Were, were there a lot of. I always think of them as the ramen noodle years. Were there a yeah. lot of those years of, of like living in squalor? I lived in my parents' house 26, and then I moved to L.A. So my squalor was more emotional. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> the fridge was flush with cold cuts and chips and salsa. <laughs> but as far as my personal happiness, I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And, and then that, when did it click? Like, how old were you when it finally kind of, when you started to have to pay taxes, for instance? Oh, well, that's a good way to put like when you're a professional is when you have to pay taxes on something I would guess I quit my day job in 2009 so it's been about 9 years 9, 10 years so you did you you went through your whole 20s yeah I did comedy for 10 years just because I just wanted to be good at it like we we were talking before we started table like I want I wanted to be asked to perform places. I, I didn't want to weasel my way on shows. I just wanted to be good at something. I didn't want to be... There was no rich or famous thing. I just found something I wanted to be good at. And I've always equated it to, like, the people that have their day job and then they have their poker game on Thursday nights or they go play darts. But maybe they're good enough at darts or poker. Like, you know, I don't think I'm going to enter a tournament just because I'm still going to have my job, but all right, I'm pretty good at this thing. I'll I'll entertain the next level up. And then you do pretty good at that level. And then, you know what, I'll entertain the next level. I'll regret it if I don't entertain the next level. It's never like, oh, this is going to be it. I'm going to be famous because of this. Um, you know, this, this is my ticket to starve. Like, it was never that. I just wanted to be good at something. I wasn't ever good at anything. <clears throat> I had a lot of fun doing things. I was, I was playing in bands. But it was like punk bands. And I had a lot of fun because I was in a band with my friends and we had more fun at practice than we did playing shows. We just had fun hanging out. And, and the fun was coming up with new songs, you know. I'm like, oh, look what we did. 
and that was the that's what kept me interested in comedy was as soon as a joke worked great instead of like saying that because oh this is going to make him laugh it's like no no what's the next thing what's the next one and that's 20 years in that's still what's okay what's the next joke that's why I'm like I can't stop writing it's like otherwise I get bored otherwise you know I wonder I wonder if the reason your stuff is so successful by which I mean like it it works for the listener not like it makes a ton of money which I hope it always will but the, I wonder if that is because it's not informed by like desperation or calculation it's not you're not like driven by greed or something well but you know when so I mean you you can hear when something's commercial and when something's like ah you're proud of that <laughs> you know and like when when the person making is like you should be proud of that. You should be excited about that because that's great. And whether it goes big or not, that's a real thing. Yeah. And I think that's comedy, which was weird with comedy right now because I think uh, outside of the the the, what, the other shit that went down with Louie and all these, this, this whole idea that like just being honest, like just being honest on stage is the most important. It's like, well, you still got to learn comedy first before you get to this point where you can just go on stage like, well, I was bi- I'm bipolar and I was molested as a child. Like, <laughs> well, that's interesting that you want to share that. Is there something humorous about that? Yeah. Like, it's like listing your medications as the new airplane food and stand up kind Ooh. of like. Well, I'm on Advan. It's like okay, but is there like is it funny? Like it could be dark, but you can't just announce your issue. We. You know what? You can. It's fine. It's an, if it's an open mic, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, that's and, what I keep forgetting. There's no. I can't judge anything. But I, I, I do. I judge, but it's, that's me and my. Like, still, what? Who cares what I say? If, if people, if you tell that to a room of twenty people and three of them want to hear it, then you keep telling it till four people want to hear it. Out of those twenty, then five people. And those five people tell five of their friends. Now you got ten people that want to hear it. And you just keep doing it. So who gives a shit what I think? So I know musicians deal with this. A lot. And I kind of assume that comedians do just because there's so much sort of self-hating energy that goes into comedy or whatever. But yeah. do you, are there like uh, negative voices in your head? Do you, I mean, do you create obstacles for yourself internally that you have to yeah. overcome? Well, yeah. I mean, I think like, yeah, do you, like, the same thing. Do you, do you have to manufacture heartbreak to write a good song about heartbreak or can you stand back? Going, I don't want to relive those parts of my life because they sucked. But I can still draw from those parts to create something new. The weird thing about stand-up is, you know, especially like country music is written for, like, you could take someone else's story and write from an autobiographical standpoint, like in the first-person standpoint of somebody else, you know, like... But as a stand-up, you're going like, oh, man, when I was on the coal mines or in the coal mines, like, you were never worked in the goddamn coal mines. Like, I'm trying to do a thing, you know? It's like a character, but it's a... Uh, yeah, I, yeah. the roadblocks are... What, you know, I... I, it, I got... I kind of broke out because I had an album was like, oh, man, well, life kind of sucks and maybe your dreams don't come true, but whatever. And then I bitched about stuff well enough that the things I was bitching about got to go away. And now it's like, well, is it disingenuous to still bitch about stuff? Like, is that the Larry the Cable? And I, I, that's not even a slide on Larry the Cable guy, but it's like a 
hillbilly character that is worth millions and millions of dollars as Dan Whitney, but goes out as a slave. Like, what, what point do you become a blurrier version of that? Be like, oh, man, I'm working and all this. It's like, no, you're a professional comedian. I know you don't wait tables anymore. I know that these hardships aren't real. But then you're playing that character. You're, you know, you're being the... Boy, that's, so, <laughs> that's such a funny thing when the, the problem that kind of makes you who you are goes away and then you're mm-hmm. and then you're sort of missing the bad shit that oh yeah you, you used as fuel yeah 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 like oh well, i got nothing to be sad about yeah what a stupid thing to worry about i got i got no i got no worries and that's my biggest worry that's why I, I guess you're right i've had i've had reviews before where they said god i hope ray gets his heart broken again i hate these songs <laughs> yeah that's but, a horrible thing as to much wish. as you like what they're putting out shouldn't you hope for the best for someone that's brought you joy yeah exactly that you enjoy their creativity that's why it's like it's okay to go out or if, if financially you could do it bow out oh god I want to quit wouldn't that be nice I only want to come back to comedy because I need to come back to comedy not financially but because like oh I got stuff to say I got stuff I want to talk about not because, like, well, oh, I've got to put on another album. Oh, boy, do you ever fall asleep in a more chilly baby? Like, I'm going to be that fucking guy for the rest of my life. And then at the end of the show, it's everybody that's, like, 15 years younger than you just trying to give you shots. And you're like, oh, I do this every night. I can't live like this. I'll die. I, like, I don't want to die. I like when you do the Funhouse Mirror, Kyle Kinane, of yourself. I've heard it. I've heard it so much. So, weird. <laughs> um, so I, I assume that this is something that happens to you because I, I imagine comedy being a world where there's a lot of young comics yeah. that are able to find you or gain access to you or pick your brain. But mm. if there was a 21-year-old version of yourself working but in today's world, what advice would you give yourself? Well, I mean, well, D- Dave and I, we were talking about, like, writer's block, how, like you, like, you were just saying, like, oh, I just wrote a bunch of shit this weekend. I got, like... Like when you, what was your analogy? It's like a rusty faucet. <laughs> like it's so hard to get that rusty faucet open for me. So yeah. when I finally do, I better grab a bucket and all that <laughs> shit because it may not open for you know another month. Yeah, yeah. That that that's the thing. Like every time I hit writer's block, I think like, well, that's it. I'm done. Because when I started comedy, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough stage time to keep up with how many things I was writing. It, it wasn't good. But I was just excited to try all of it. And that was the thing about comedy. is like every night, is if there's an open mic, you have an opportunity to be like, does this work? Doesn't I, I didn't care if it, like, the audience, like, like did I feel good to say it? Like, it was just so exciting. And <clears throat> that excitement will wane, um, especially if you're 21 getting into comedy now. Like, I've, I've said it before, like, you, just, you need to love it enough that you'll do it for free forever. Like, that's that's it. Forget, if I tell you, You'll never get paid for this. Do you want to do it again next week? Now, at this point, do you want to do it again next week? If the answer is no, get out. Find something else. Like, do you love it enough that you want to do it for free forever? Because that's the only thing that will keep you of clear mind and clear heart to pursue it without, oh, boy, well, now i got to write jokes like this because that's what I'm getting money. Oh, that's the character. That's what the audience wants to see. Fuck what the audience wants to see. I love nothing more than seeing an audience like people that look exact bearded fucking slobs <laughs> go do the pizza fart bit. I'm like, no, nah, I just want to talk about it. I'm kind of vegetarian now and I have love in my heart and a successful relationship. <laughs> and you see him going, huh? I'm like, yes, awesome. Here we go. Hard right turn. Let's see where we go with this. And 
the, and again, the, it's the puzzle. Like, can I still get them to laugh at it, even if they don't agree? With it? John Roy is a very funny comic, and he's like, he's like, I, the best comedy is when I don't agree with what they're saying, but I still laugh at it anyway because it's a good joke. And that's more, I think, more political minded stuff. But even just where you view yourself in the world, like, oh, I like, I like challenging them a little bit. I don't know if you get that with song, like the same thing. Like, sure. oh, I hope, wish Rick got his heart broken. It's like, no, what if I, what if it's positive? What if it's about having a great time? What's yeah. wrong with, like, What's funny? Every we'll time talk- I get too, it, it, I talk too much. I'm like, you sound like an asshole. No, man. Which that's... is the end of every show that I do. <laughs> what did you do again? You talk for an hour? Who do you think you are? Well, that's something that I've found with every single person that I've talked to, right? It's mm-hmm. that when you do something and it's motivated by wanting to make money out of it, or or if you're yeah. trying to calculate what the people in the audience want from you, it's going to suck because it's going to reek of that kind of desperation. Yeah, or or you'll be successful at reading what the audience wants from you, but you might not be happy. Yeah, like you think about all these like oh, it's comedian, but they're so famous, they're on top of the world, and they're miserable. Like I'd rather be like mid-range successful but happy. Yeah, you know, I like my happiness is more important than fame. Right, money. Money buys happiness. That's a bullshit statement. Money, and it, the, the joke's already been done that money buys, like, the, not worrying about how you're keeping your bills paid will definitely relax. It could also cause you to lose your edge. You know, that you get that fear of success where like, I see some comics that are like, yeah, the same thing, like, oh, I gotta be miserable to create art. Well, no, challenge yourself. Create it from a place of happiness. Create it from a place of curiosity rather than, like, anger or misery. Yeah. Like, that's where I would go. Like, you can't just be like, I like this thing, and that's not funny, but, like, why does this work this way? Yeah. That was an angle I would take. Or very basic high school debate class. If you believe so strongly in something, argue against yourself. Like, argue the opposite against yourself. Because you'll either reinforce your original position or you'll open your mind to seeing other viewpoints. And comedically, that's a great way. That's like a, a great writing exercise. Look, I think this is stupid. Well, why do you think it's stupid? Is it because something in you, you don't understand it and that's why you think it's stupid? Like, try it like... I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> but, you know, like, like, instead of just being mad, like, like I... I don't like listening to comedians that are always right. I'd rather listen to somebody that's like, I thought I was right, and it turns out I was wrong because of this. That's a more human story and something I'd rather listen to. Yeah, well, you're talking truth about... truth-teller comedians. Motivation. Like, it's hard to figure out. Mm. It's interesting what you say about having success and losing your edge. One thing that surprised me in talking to people about all this stuff is the problems that arise from success because it's yeah. something that we always think that we're pushing for and that we really want but then I mean I, I talk to musicians and having a hit can be a real problem you know yeah because then you have to have another one well dude I just talked to my friend Eric in Portugal the man in there in the studio right now and the pressure that comes on you after having the biggest fucking song of 2018 yeah yeah, yeah. I mean where do you go from there yeah 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 or I, my friends that had hits in the 90s you know because then it pegs you in that time and you know I mean so I named my second uh Special. I liked his old stuff better. Just to get ahead of it. Like, oh, were you going to say that the first one was better? I got you. Anyway, come up with something better if you want to review it, you know? 
But then that's a perfect response is that, you know, be motivated by curiosity, challenging yourself. And also, and even forget like the output of it, you'll grow as a person. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that the goal in life is to grow as a human being and, you know, to watch somebody that's just, uh, just exponentially curious about the world around them rather than acting like they got it all figured out. Like if somebody's got all the answers, it's like, well, great. You seem like, what's the point in talking to you? <laughs> you know? Oh, good. You're the fucking Oracle. Great. Good. And that's hilarious. And I'm like, I don't know how this works. Let's all explore this idea together. And that's, for me, it's been a way to do comedy from a, a place of positivity. Although, I mean, some stuff right now is not very positive. I've been doing, but, <laughs> but at least I'm still writing, you know? That's, well, of course. Then I made myself miserable again out of being curious about something and learning too much about a subject and going, oh, I wish I didn't know that much. Well, it's like, maybe that's one of your tools, just to make, make yourself a little bit miserable to yeah, get the... Well, it's always around the corner. Don't, yeah. don't worry, artists. Misery's around the corner. Don't, <laughs> don't, get, don't get upset when you're happy. Something will go wrong. Well, it's even like that. The, the other thing that comes out of success is, and this has come up a lot, is the kind of success guilt. Mm-hmm. Where suddenly you're doing well, you kind of hit this place that you've been working towards for a long time, mm-hmm. and then there's these friends of yours that maybe aren't, or these younger yeah. kids that are coming to you that aren't, or like Roseanne Cash was talking about going through the Deep South mm-hmm. when she was making her record, The River and the Thread, and interviewing and meeting with all these like like old African-American blues men mm-hmm. who never made a penny, yeah. and she's sitting there feeling like, oh my God, I lived this life of luxury. That's a weird thing, right? Where I'm like, I haven't gotten rich doing what I do, but I still encounter people that envy my career yeah i just think that's a dangerous thing to be the one who envies and it's also a dangerous thing to like let their envy get to you my, my, my buddy monty always uh, he says like it's compare and despair yeah you always get in trouble if you compare because then you despair and don't forget that when you were low and somebody else was high how did they treat you did they treat you well and are they where are they at you know Maybe they stayed up there because they treat the people around them well. It's like, you, I look. I, it's a very simple. Like these, like these, these punk dudes in Chicago, these band guys had a thing, like an unofficial thing called the Foundation. And it was like, all right, we're all going out and drinking, and someone's like, I can't, I'm broke. All right, it's on the Foundation. But if next weekend you got paid, and somebody was like, I can't, I'm broke. You got to pay in. And that's just how success is. It's kind of like, all right, you know, everybody's got to do their work, but oh, somebody makes it. Try to be happy. And I say try because it's hard. I get jealous and I wonder why they have something and I thought I put in the work. But if that's not, a, if they're not a shitty person, then be happy for them. And yeah. then also, you will rid yourself of that negativity and that jealousy. And when it's your and, turn. And then, yeah, and when it's your turn, remember the people that, you know, you know, remember the foundation. Like, all right, now this one's going in. Everybody. Yeah. When somebody hit it big, when somebody got in a movie or something, I remember them going, I got the dinner's on me or something. Then oh you do it, you paint it to the foundation. Oh, so. you just reminded me of, you, remember, you know Reverend Horton Heath, right? Yeah. Um, so Jim Heath is from Dallas, and I used to open for him when I was a kid. And I was in a band called Killbilly briefly. Mm-hmm. And we, the first time I ever played L.A., I was about to make the first old 97s record. Mm-hmm. And Killbilly, I was just a side man. But so Jim Heath, Reverend Horton Heath, shows up at our gig and I and I hit him up, and I, and he was a star at the yeah. time. Um, and I said, Jim, we're going to make this record, and it would mean the world to me if you'd be willing to come in and play guitar, mm-hmm. like just do a solo or something. And um, and he kind of looked at me, and he goes, Sure, okay. And he handed me his business card and walked away. And his business card said, Jim Heath, phone unlisted. 
And that was it. Like, that was his real answer. He was not going to play a solo on my record. It was just like a fuck you, kid. And I always thought about that. I'm like, I do not want to be the rock star phone unlisted guy. Well, that's why we were talking about it. It's better to be, uh, uh, like, for book for shows or something or be asked to do something instead of kind of like like trying to hustle your way into it. Like, trying to be like, hey, can I, can I play this show? Can I get on this show? I've seen it. People weasel their way on to stay like big, good, sta- you know, high quality, credible stand up shows that they bother the booker enough and then they get on there and they bomb. Like, guess what? You're never going to do that show again. Yeah. Whereas you do all these little crappy gigs that, you know, everybody's like, oh, it sucks. Oh, man, why do you care? There's only 12 people here. Then fucking knock it out of the park for those 12 people, especially if you're in LA or New York, because then one of those 12 people might book a show that has. 23 people at it. And then you get booked on that show. And that show with 23 people, there might be three people there that book a show with 50 people on it each. And you zigzag your way. It's not a ladder. You fucking zigzag your way up and put in the time. It doesn't, there's no overnight. If it happens overnight and go away overnight, put in the work. Yeah. That's more message if you're 21. Put in the fucking work. I love that. Ooh, I hate, ooh, I hate people trying to find shortcuts. Man, I feel like... <laughs> See, I got mad. See, I love it. <laughs> and that must mean it's over. I feel, <laughs> I feel like so much of what you said is going to be so useful. I probably contradicted myself 19 times. I have a, but again, that's what you're saying. You yeah. argue with yourself. You try and talk yourself out of it. You try and take the other side. Oh, yeah. I'm a real yin and yang. I'm real complex. Right? Real yin and yang. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you. I always love it. And I'm glad we got to record it this time. I think you're yeah. such a cool dude. Thank you Pioneer very much. Town, buddy. Oh, yeah. We didn't We're even tell people. In the desert. We're in Pioneer Town in Joshua Tree right now. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for having me. You know, earlier, I shot a man just to watch him die. Curiosity. See, that's what keeps you... <laughs> kind of cur- disappointing, actually. It's <laughs> <laughs> really bland. <laughs> I thought there was going to be something prophetic out of him. Just a wheeze. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Great talking to you. Yeah, buddy. Nice. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey, you. Did you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.